0: Okay, so uh, this week's uh, Parsha class, the Zoom class, Parsha class, is uh, we're going to go briefly through the Torah portion of this week, Vayishlach, and then we're going to focus on what happens, what really happened when Esau and Yaakov met, and what does this mean for us as a lesson in our personal lives. So let's begin first with the Parsha. So last week we finished with Jacob going ahead and uh, leaving his father-in-law's house with his wives and his children and his wealth, and he's heading back home to the house of Isaac in 'er Beersheba. This week's Torah portion talks to us about how on the way, he finds out that esau his brother who had sworn vengeance on jacob's getting the blessing from their father from their father isaac that he was going to kill him and hence he finds out that jacob is marching esau is marching towards him so he goes ahead and he sends malachim he sends the word malachim can also mean messengers it could mean human messengers however rashi immediately points out malachim mamash we're talking about real angels and the rebbe of righteous memory discusses why does rashi say that and how does rashi know that and to understand the rebbe's question we need to understand that Rashi does not quote Talmudic, Midrashic, homiletical teachings unless they explain the simple interpretation of the verse. Hence, why does Rashi have here the teaching that it was angels? Why couldn't we say that he sent some of his human messengers? He had a lot of servants. Why couldn't you say that? And the answer the Rebbe gives is that Rashi has the most practical approach. And Rashi knows that anyone who is a man of Jacob's, when they reach Esau, Esau will kill them. And thus Jacob knew he could not send no human messengers because he had no right to endanger their lives. And from that aspect, Rashi gives the simple, most practical, explanatory teaching that he didn't send humans, he sent angels, like we learned at the end of last week's Torah portion, that he saw angels, camps of angels that were coming to protect him. And now he tells them to say to Esau, so says your servant Jacob, with on, his father-in-law, I Garty, I lived, the Echar and I was held up at Atta until now. He had to work 14 years to re- receive his two wives, and then he worked for another six years in order to earn his own living. Now, he says, he points out to Esau that he has ox, donkeys, sheep, servants, maids. And Rashi wants to know why is he pointing that out? If if anything, he knows that Esau wants to kill him because he received the blessings. So why would he talk about his wealth? Which seemingly comes from blessings. So Rashi immediately points out he lists to Esau what he has. And what we see from what he has is that it does not come from the rains of heaven nor from the growth of the ground and therefore what he's pointing out to Esau is that obviously I did not merit the fulfillment of father's blessings because he clearly blessed me from the rains of the heavens and from the produce of the ground I have neither And then he goes ahead and he says that I'm saying, he told the angels to tell Esau that I am sending you in order to to request your, your peace to see if I find favor in your eyes. In other words, did you calm down and are we okay now with each others? Now, I wanna stop here for a moment and, share with you an amazing teaching from the Masricher Magid, Rabdov Bear of Masrich, eight generations ago. He says, when you learn the word Malachim Mamash, which we said means, Mamash means actual, real. He's talking about angels, Mamash angels, not humans. He says that the word Mamash also comes from the word Mamashut, which means tangibility. And he says like this, Jacob only sent the tangibilities of the angels, not the souls of the angels. Let's understand this for a moment. So we are taught, Maimonides talks about it, and other teachings talk about it, that angels are creations. And creations are made up of two parts, the vessel and the light, the body and the soul. And therefore, angels too have bodies and souls, only that their bodies are A, from the two elements of fire and air, while we are primarily of water and earth, And even of those two elements is as they exist in their spiritual state. However, it is the bodies of the angels. And what he's saying, the magad is saying here is that he sent their bodies, but not their souls. And obviously the Rebbe asked the question that that would be impossible. How can you separate a body from a soul and, and it should still remain alive and functioning? And therefore, the Rebbe interprets this teaching of the Maggid that of course the souls went body and soul. Only that what the Maggid is teaching is that their souls, even while they were going, their insights, their intentions, their commitment remained facing Jacob. And then the Rebbe goes on to explain the reason why this is so, is because the only way that we can be sure that when we deal with darkness, opaqueness, physical desires, physical embodiments, how much more so wicked, ASAWs. the only way we can be sure that we will have any success with them and not we should be affected by them, but we should affect them, is only when we sit, only when we stand completely committed and connected to our sender capital S and thus because they remained completely committed and dedicated and connected to the spirituality of Jacob therefore they were able to go and deal with the physicality and the darkness of Esau Now, they come back and they tell Jacob that you should know that while you look at him as a brother, he still remains Esau the wicked and he's marching with 400 men to come and wage war with you. Now, just that you know, in Kabbalah, they want to know what's this 400, 400 men. And the answer is in Kabbalah, It's connected to the story we learned just a few weeks ago that when Abraham went to buy the plot for the cemetery that would serve for Sarah's burial, Abraham's burial, Isaac and Rebecca's burial, Jacob and Leah's burial, he paid 400 silver coins. Now, let's get a little mystical here. Silver in the world of Kabbalah is translated from the word or like in last week's portion when Lavan told Jacob that why did you run away? And then he says, but I understand that you are yearning. And again, he uses from the root of the word kesef in this sense that he is yearning to go back home. Now, what happens here is that the definition of the word yearning and love refers to that Jake, that Abraham in order to refine the physicality. Ephron, the conniver who said that her you can have it for free and then charges such an exuberant amount of 400 coins, international coins. So he gave him the, the um, he gave him the, I'm sorry, I just looked up the word. It's it, that Lavan said, nichsof nichsafti. You yearned, you have a loving to go back to your father, Isaac. Anyway, back to what we were saying. So in, in Kabbalah, we refer to this as the highest level in the crown of 400 loves. There's such a concept. Now, because Abraham gave this to Ephron in order that Ephron should become more spiritual and be refined, therefore, unfortunately, until Mashiach comes and all evil will be eradicated from the world, there was a capturing of these 400 high levels into the other side to be used for physical, self-centered loves. And therefore, from this, it evolved the 400 men of Esau. Now, why am I sharing this with you? Because you will see later in the Torah portion that Jacob did affect the 400 he did refine them, that all of a sudden, when it's time for Esau to leave, he talks in the singular sense. And Rashi says, why the singular? Why does he say, come with me, singular, when he had 400 people? And Rashi points out that from here we see the 400 people left Esau. They weren't going to participate with him in harming Jacob. And then Rashi points out that later on, we find that there's a reward that their their reincarnations received. So just again, this is all important to what we're going to end up talking about, which is what's really taking place on the mystical, spiritual, metaphysical level between Esau and Yaakov and what that means to us between our body and our soul. Let's go on. So when he hears... That, that Esau is coming with uh, 400 men and he wants to kill him. So he prepares in three ways. He prepares in sending gifts to Esau, appeasement. He prepares in prayer to God. And he prepares in preparing himself for war in the sense that he, excuse me, that he goes ahead and he divides his camp in two. So if he attacks one camp, they can run away. The other camp, at least they won't all be killed. So he's preparing in his mind for the possibility and what would be the best way to handle physical war. Now, when he does this, he now goes ahead and he moves everyone, his entire family, his entire uh, people, and livestock across the Yabok River. Now, Yabok, obviously, if the, the Torah is going out of its way to tell us that he's crossing the Yabok River, so obviously there's something. He didn't just say he crossed the river. He crossed the Yabok River. We were never introduced to the Yabok River. So why is he telling us the name? So again, Kabbalah and Hasidus are going to step in here and teach us that the three Hebrew letters of Yabok, Yud, Bet, Kuf, Kuf, stands for Yichud, Bracha, Kedusha. The unification of blessings and sacredness. And again, we're going to talk about this later. Everything here is talking about spiritual, spiritual dealings between the world of Jacob and the world of Esau. Then it tells us that as he crossed, he served as a human river, a human bridge, and he took them from one side to the other side. Now, the crossing over is called v'ya'avor, la'avor, to cross over. Now, as you know, one of the names of the Jewish people that we're called to is Ivri. We are, in English, they translate Ivri as the word Hebrews because the word Ivri sounds like from the word Ivrit, what's the the modern-day language of Hebrew. However, in truth, the definition of the word Ivri comes from that which we say, it's a verse, and we say it by our Passover Seder in the Haggadah. ha'na'ar. Abraham comes from across the river. And what that means is he comes from and exponentially, exponentially well, I'm tongue-tied, a, a infinite greater realm of reality because he lives in the spirituality. So he's from across the river and the river represents a very high spiritual level like the verse says, and a river came forth from Eden and irrigated the garden. And therefore, on a spiritual level, what Jacob was doing was, he, because he knew he would have to now get involved, engage, and deal with the physical and the coarseness of the physical and the darkness of the physical. So therefore, he first crossed over into the realm of his father and his grandfather in the greatest spiritual heights to empower himself so that he will be able to then deal with the lowliness and the depth of who Esau is. After all of this, everyone and everything is on the other side of the Yabok River, comes along Jacob, he remembers that he left a couple of small jugs, pachim Khtanim, small jugs, small jars, and he goes across to get it. And when he goes across to get these small jars, what does he meet? It says over here, and he was fighting, he ended up fighting with a person, Ish. And Rashi tells us, who is this Ish? Ish? Who is this this person who he's fighting with? And, he said, and Rashi tells us that this Ish refers to not a human, but an angel, And it is the angel, the ministering angel of Esau. Now, I want to just be clear. Rashi says this as the latter interpretation of of his commentary because on the first level, he talks about the simple definition of a fight. Now, why does Rashi have to quote our sages? Because obviously... The child, that's what Rashi was. He was a cheder teacher and he focused his entire deepest commentaries towards the child. And he explains that, and obviously Rashi is dealing with, the person's going to want to know, why is this guy fighting with Jacob? Why are they having a fight? Thus, we have to say, the verse doesn't tell us, so it wants us to understand that there's a reason why this fight is happening and it's connected to the story that we're talking about. Now, who would this person B connected to Esau and Esau's hatred towards Jacob. Hence, he quotes the sages saying that this is the ministering angel of, of, uh, um, of Esau. Just parenthetically speaking, you should know that there are other places where certain specific angels are referred to by Ish, which means a man. Now, What happens in this fighting between him and an angel? Let's first start with practically speaking. How do you fight with an angel? So I want you to know that while there are commentaries that give spiritual interpretations, the most spiritual book of the most spiritual interpretations, which is called the Zohar. The Zohar, its opinion is, that when an angel comes into this physical world, it must don a physical body. Hence, the Zohar, out of all books, the most mystical spiritual book, is the, and he actually gives such deep mystical spiritual insights to this fight. And nevertheless, the Zohar says, both concerning the three angels that came to Abraham and concerning the angel that fought with Jacob, that they were in physical form. And the Zohar actually explains that the, fi- the fight between Esau, uh, between Jacob and the angel of Esau was a physical wrestling. And even though it is such deep meanings into why the angel was only able to hurt the lower part of Jacob's body, which really in Kabbalah is called levar megufoy. It's not even called part of the body, because the body on a Kabbalistic level is from the waist up, from the waist down, is not the body itself, but the reproductive organs and so forth and so on. So, therefore, nevertheless, even though he explains that on the most spiritual level, he says that it was physical the angel physically hit the hip and displaced the physical hip sinew and therefore we have as the Torah portion will go on and say that till this very day it is prohibited to eat the sinew the hip sinew the sciatica that goes through the the um, the hip, has like the spoon and the ball. And that until this very day, we're not allowed to eat because the angel of Esau was able to get to it. Now on a, on a mystical level, that means that evil attached itself to it. It cannot be elevated. And therefore, even though it's part of the kosher animal, we don't eat it. Now, what happens is that Jacob wins the battle to the point where he kind of has whatever this means, he, physically, he had him, I guess, in a, a headlock, a body lock, and the angel couldn't break away. However, as we know in the beginning of the Mishnayot, we refer to the three watches. The angels divide into three groups throughout the night, in which each one has to sing praise to God. And this angel, he had to sing praise to God in this third more towards morning shift. And therefore, he tells Jacob, you have to let me go. Meaning that as long as Jacob is holding him, he can't leave the physical body and he can't go back to being the spiritual angel doing his service to God. And therefore... He tells Jacob, you have to let me go. And Jacob says, no, not until you bless me. And the angel says, "Why? What, what is your name? And obviously the angel knew. And he says, Jacob, okay, I will be there when God changes your name from Jacob to Israel. And I will say, amen. I will agree to it. And Jacob says, no, I want a blessing now. Now, obviously, what Jacob is looking for is that the spiritual source of Esau should concede that the blessings of Isaac belong to Jacob and accept that. Therefore, at the end, what we're taught is that the angel agreed to it, and that's why after it says the whole story of of the name changing, it says after that, out of nowhere, And the angel blessed Jacob right there. And in here, he conceded that the blessings belong to Jacob. By the way, interesting, he asked the angel, what's your name? And the angel says, why are you asking my name? (laughs) just interesting. And our sages tell us, and Rashi explains to this, that the angel wasn't like not saying his name. He wasn't keeping anonymity. I mean, he just got into a whole fight and obviously Jacob knew which angel he was fighting with. But rather what he was saying is that us angels don't have names, rather we are called by the mission that we're doing in the moment. Now, how does this fit with all the famous angels that we know have names, Michael and, and all this? I'm gonna suggest it's because their name connects to what they're doing. For example, Gabriel stands for the word of God, the strength, the, the justice, the might of God. And as you know, the angel Gabriel is always the one, he and his offshoot angels, his troops, are always dealing with, with um, justice. And the angel Raphael, which means healing of God, And all his troops were taught that every doctor has an angel from Raphael's troop with him. So therefore, obviously, those names are because they belong to that category. However, I guess Esau's angel was not of those categories, but rather was of the category which are sent on missions and their name imbues their mission and their mission imbues their names. But that's what Rashi says. I'm just trying to make sense of, of it. So I gave my little explanation. Anyway, Jacob pronounces the name of the place, Peniel. And he says, why? Because Peniel should be broken into two. Pine, the face of. Kael, God. And he says, why? Because here I met with God face to face. And he saved my life. Meaning that God helped him to be victorious with the angel, and then it goes on to say that as the sun rose, um, uh, you know he he was going and he was uh, toleia, he was uh, limping on his on his um, on his hip, and and then uh, well, like I told you, it doesn't it, it tells us that until this very day we don't eat that that sinew because of what happened. Anyway, the next chapter begins. And the next chapter begins, Jacob lifted his eyes, and he sees of coming with the 400 men. Now, what happens is, he, the, he divided again the, uh, the groups, right? And then he says like this, he went and he placed the women and their children, and he went from less primary to more primary, so obviously the maids that were given to him as concubines by his wives in order to have more children from him, they were the least primary and they were placed in front. And then Rachel was his primary, primary wife. So he placed Leah and he placed the, and right, and her children. And then something very interesting, when it comes to Rachel and Joseph, which were all the way in the back remember Benjamin wasn't born yet at this point he will be born soon so he says and and then he starts bowing to a to Esau, and he does so seven times simply speaking again to a, to, to that his humility should arouse the the uh, compassion of Esau. Again, in Kabbalah, Kabbalah, we're going to soon talk about, in the what this means on a spiritual level and how we have to deal with it. Um, I do want to tell you in parenthetics, in parentheses, that, you know, there's an interesting Hasidic story of a Hasidic rabbi who became the new rabbi in a certain town. And in that town, there was a Jewish gang's gang. And they pretty much, you know, threatened the rabbis. And then, But when it came to this rabbi, you know, being brought up under the tutelage of, of Chabad self-sacrifice, he wasn't going to capitulate. And sure, lo and behold, they find out that the, the head of the gang is coming with his gang to, as they say, mess up the rabbi, and everyone's worried and this and that, and the rabbi tells his, his people in his room, please leave me alone, be, be I wanna be alone, leave me in solitude, and they did. And then when it comes a time that the gang reaches, the rabbi comes out of his uh, solitude, as I and he comes to the head of the gang, and he says, let us talk. And the gang, come, the gang leader comes in, they talk, no one knows what's going on. And then after that, the gang comes out, uh, out with his hand around the rabbi's shoulder and lets his gang know, anyone who's going to touch this rabbi will be answering to me. Okay. Later, after he left, his, his attendant asked him, what happened? He said, oh, it's very simple what happened. What happens is that the verse tells us, King Solomon says, like the face of the water shines back to the face of the person, so is the heart of man to the heart of man. And he said, and what I know from that is that my resentment towards him is the reflection of his hatred towards me so if i can completely remove the resentment and arouse compassion and love this will be reflecting in his feelings towards me and that's why i ask you all to leave me alone so i can do some soul correction some soul searching and tikuna midot working on my emotions and thank god i was able to do it and therefore By the time he came to me, I had nothing but love and compassion. And discussing the issue from that place of being, it affected him. So the bowing of Jacob to Esau is quite deep and quite a lesson to us. And what happens in the next verse? Esau comes running towards Jacob, falls on his neck, kisses him, and starts crying. Now, granted, there are different opinions what is really going on here. Some say that even while he was kissing and, 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 and hugging him and crying, he couldn't control himself. A scorpion is a scorpion, and he tried to bite Jacob's neck and kill him. There's another opinion, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, actually the author, the composer, and the author of part of the books of the Zohar, and he's the compiler, not the composer, and and he says, even though it is ingrained within the genetics that Esau hates Jacob, nevertheless, in that moment, Jacob succeeded in breaking through to Esau and Esau truly kissed him with love and compassion. And then he lifts up his eyes and he sees the family and he says, and who are these? And all of a sudden, here is something very interesting. It says that he introduced all the people, the wives and their children. But it always says he introduced the wife before the children. But by Joseph and Rachel, it says Joseph before Rachel. And we are taught because Joseph said, there's no way I'm going to let this guy, this wicked guy lay his eyes upon the beauty of my mother. And you should know that Jacob was blessed because of this, that the evil eye cannot, cannot have any effect on Joseph or his offspring. And hence there is a Spartac custom until this day that if someone feels that he has or she has the jealousy of an evil eye upon him or the evil eye of jealousy upon him, He actually says the verses, Ben porat Yosef ale ayin. It's a whole voice. I just said the the main words, which means I am from the offspring of Joseph. And obviously for many of us, it means spiritually, because I know for a fact that I am not from the offspring of Joseph because I am a Kohen. So I know that I'm from his older brother, Levi. But nevertheless, on a spiritual level, we all say that we are from the offspring of Joseph, and hence we are protected from the evil eye. And it all came as a reward for him protecting his mother from the evil eye of Esau. Now, what happens is that Esau tells Jacob, I I don't need your gifts. You sent me beautiful gifts, I don't need your gifts. I have a lot. Jacob pleads with him, please accept my gifts. I have everything. Now, the deeper meaning here is that Esau in his haughtiness says, I have a lot. Jacob says, I have everything. What does it mean? I have everything? It means I have everything I need. On a more mystical level, a lot plurality represents separation everything represents a unity between everything and thus Jacob was saying all the hats I wear and everything I have does not cause fractures in my consciousness or in my soul or in my behavior Because I don't serve everything, everything serves me. And thus, my my unity. And I I wanna give you an example from a secular book. There's an amazing secular book called From Good to Great. And he talks about how when the internet came out, there were two pharmaceutical companies. One jumped into the internet because if you remember, the dot com era, everyone was becoming millionaires overnight. The other one said, no, I'm not jumping in there because I'm into pharmaceuticals and I don't understand how pharmaceuticals can be served by the internet. Eventually, the latter, which was Walgreens, actually was the first one to create through the internet that you can go into any Walgreens Because your prescription and everything is online and everything is connected. What I'm trying to point out is that when we want a lot, we're just jumping, grabbing. Oh, I heard you could make millions. Grab it, grab it, grab it. Then you end up fractured. You forget what you started fighting for, who you are and what you represent and what your goals are, what your mission statement is. However, if you always have the clarity of what your mission statement is and who you are, everything that will come your way will be used only to enhance the service of who you are and your mission statement. And that's the deeper meaning of what's going on between Esau and Jacob with the different language. I have a lot. I have everything. And then Jacob says... Why don't you join with me and let's go back? And Jacob says, no, I can't because you're an adult. You're going to travel fast. I've got kids. I've got young livestock. I'm going to force them a little bit beyond their capacity and and they're going to die on me. And Asa says, I'll go slow. And Jacob says, no reason for it. You know what? I'll leave some people with you. And Jacob says, why do this kindness that's completely unnecessary? You go, and I will meet you. And where does he say? I will meet you at Mount Seir. And our sages tell us that on a deeper mystical level, Esau was saying, okay, so I'm refined, love is refined, you accomplished your mission, let's go bring Mashiach. And Jacob's saying, no, Mashiach can't be rushed because then it's going to have a negative effect because it's going to be an imposition rather than an internalization. Hence, let's travel slowly. You go your way, I'll go my way. And we find a very interesting verse that we say in our prayers every day, and that is concerning the days of Mashiach. It says, the Jews will go up Elhar Seir, to Mount Seir, to do the final refinement, transformation, and elevation. Okay, Jacob then goes ahead, and he pitches a tent, and he creates an uh, altar, and he calls it, not the altar, but the altar was for the service of God. And you think to yourself, okay, woof, Finally, had to deal with 21 years with his father-in-law. He was running away for more than 21 years, for actually 35 years from Esau trying to kill him. And now, everything's done. Nope, trouble starts. His daughter Dina, Dina the daughter of Leah, was, went out to see the locals. And who does she come across? The prince. The prince lusts for her, and he rapes her. And after he rapes her, he realizes, no, this is not just lust, this is love. I want to marry her. And he tells his father, can you please arrange with Jacob for his daughter's hand in marriage to me? And what happens is... (laughs) that they come and they speak to Jacob. Jacob finds out what's happening and he waits for his sons to come along. Now, parenthetically speaking, our sages teach us what an amazing conversation here goes on. So the name is Hamor. That was the name. Now in Hebrew, Hamor means a donkey. Jacob comes from Abraham and is connected to an ox. Now, that is the way it works, spiritually, obviously. And the verse says you are not allowed to put together an ox and a donkey. It literally says those two animals. You can't use them to plow your field. You either use one or the other, and you definitely can't mate them. So Jacob tells, according to Kabbalah, tells Hamar how are we supposed to do this? <laughs> Where we can't, we can't do this. It's illegal for me. Anyway, that's just an interesting insight and what that means a, on a spiritual level, so forth and so on. But let's, we, we can't discuss everything. So let's move along. The kids come home and they find out what happened to their sister and they're fuming. And they need to take revenge and send a message. You don't mess with Jacob's family. You don't touch our girls. And therefore, they came up with a plan. And they go ahead and they tell this king, listen, you know that from Abraham's times, God commanded us to be circumcised, which means that foreskin for us is considered filth. So therefore, if you will all circumcise, your whole people will circumcise themselves, then yeah, we can get into marriage. You know, you can marry our daughter, our sister, and we can marry your girls. But if not, then just leave us alone. So the king goes back and he calls his prince, you know, his primary child is, is wanting her. So he convinces his whole people that we should circumcise. Well, what is it already? And this way we'll be able to marry into the dynamic family of Jacob. And they all circumcise themselves. Three days later, which is the worst day of pain, Shimon and Levi, two boys, come take their sword and they literally wipe out the entire people of Shechem. Now, Jacob is really upset about this. I mean, first of all, the dynamics. What do you wipe out a whole nation because the prince raped your sister? And and he says, and because of that, all the neighboring countries are not going to deal well with it. And they're all going to come to war. And, and so it says actually that there was a war and then and, and Jacob had to, had to actually engage in war. Harbi ubekashti with my sword and with my bone arrow. Kabbalah says that that refers to prayers. But either way, he, he's upset with them. And they respond an unbelievable verse in verse 31. Vayoyimru and they said, we're gonna allow people to turn our sister into a harlot? Is is this what's gonna happen now? Now it's very interesting what happens here. I wanna share with you how we're doing time-wise. Moving along here. Okay, I'm gonna share with you very briefly because I started it. And what happens here is that the Rebbe, before the Rebbe was Rebbe, long before, his cousin was having a bar mitzvah and he couldn't attend. So he wrote a letter to his cousin and he tells his cousin, I want you to not read this as a letter, but I want you to envision me in front of you, there with you, in your special day, telling this to you. And the Rebbe goes on to say, where is the first time we find in the Torah talking about a bar mitzvah? And our sages say that because the verse here t- concerning Shimon and Levi it says, "And the man each took their sword," so therefore we learn out that they just became men. That's how the that's how it, it was. Okay, it says, ish harbo a man his sword," and our sages learn out from here that. This is the first time we're hearing a story of specifically a a bar mitzvah boy. And the Rebbe says to him, what do we learn out from this? The first story we hear about a bar mitzvah is about uh, two bar mitzvah boys taking swords and going out and killing? And the Rebbe says, no, there's a deeper part of this story. The story is that to be a man is to identify yourself with the honor of your family. To understand that family is one for all and all for one. And if you're not willing to go all out for your sister, then you're not considered a man. That's how the Rebbe explained this story, which is really beautiful. Anyway, going further, um, Yaakov, uh, Yaakov goes further and travels further, and he comes to Padanaram and there he settles down for the meantime. And God blesses him and tells him, Don't worry about the people continuing to chase you because of what happened. I will protect you and I will multiply you and I will bless you. And here he says his name is Israel. Now it's very important to know this from when. The Torah tells us that God changed Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham. It never uses the name Abram again. And therefore, until this very day, we never name a child Abram, but as you know, my name, Avraham. Now, not so with Jacob. Very often, the verses will continue to refer to Jacob as Jacob and not just Israel. Hence, we know, and according to some opinions, God didn't change his name, but rather some even used the wording that God nicknamed him Israel. But the name Jacob remains and there's huge teachings on what this means because Jacob comes from the word Akiv heel. Yisrael has within it the word Rosh, which means head they are two different dynamics. One is the body, one is the soul, one is the Jews in exile, one is the Jews out of exile, but both remain. Okay, moving along, the next story we have is that Rachel gets pregnant, and Rachel dies during childbirth, and... This is the only one of the 12 tribes. All the 12 tribes were named by the matriarchs and not by the patriarchs, not by Jacob. However, by the way, the patriarchs were each named by their father, not by, not by the mothers. But the tribes were all named by the mothers. The only difference is that by Benjamin, the mother called him Ben-Oni, the son of my affliction as she was dying. And Jacob said, "No, Benjamin, the son of my right." Uh, so there Jacob interceded in the naming. And the simple interpretations of why, why Benjamin why she died in Benjamin's birth. So there are the teachings that says every single one of the 12 sons were born with a twin sister. However, J- Benjamin was a triplet, and he had two sisters. And then, therefore, during the childbirth, it, it you know, back in the day, so she died. Now, what's interesting is that Jacob does not carry her to the matriarch patriarch burial spot in Hebron, he doesn't even carry her into a city but leaves her buried right on the side of the road. Jump to the end of Genesis. And Jacob will, be expl- Jacob will be explaining this to Joseph because Jacob is making Joseph swear to him that you will not let me be buried in Egypt, but you will carry me to Israel. And then he, it, the sages tell us, if you read in the wording how you read it, Rashi tells us that he says, I know that you have in your heart resentment to me for not doing this for your mother while I'm asking you to do it for me. And that's when he reveals to him that he was informed from heaven that he should bury Rachel right there on the roadside because when the Babylonians will conquer and destroy the Holy Temple and lead the Jews out into exile, they will be traveling on this road. And when they come across the grave, the cave of of the burial of Rachel, they will cry out to her and then her soul will rise up on high and cry to God until God will promise her shuvavanim your your offspring will return the children will return okay anyway so now Jacob now um um Jacob has all his 12 sons and we he goes ahead and he comes to to his father um Isaac now the verse here says that Isaac died at 180 years old and Isaac was buried and it will not mention any more Isaac. What I want you to know is that this verse is misplaced because if you do the math of how old was Jacob when, how old was Isaac when Jacob was born? How old was Jacob when Joseph was born? You will figure out that Isaac died after Joseph was sold to the Egyptians by his brothers. So the verse does not go in chronological order. It's finishing the story now that Jacob came back to Isaac. We will not be talking anymore about Isaac's life and Isaac's life's lessons for us. So therefore, the Torah closes that chapter here. But chronologically speaking, it did not happen at this moment in the storyline. And then it goes, to, it goes ahead to tell us that uh, Esau's offspring, it points out to us that before the Jews had kings, Esau had kings, and then eventually that stopped, and then the Jewish kings started. That's the end of the Torah story. I also want to just quickly, in one minute, uh, share with you that... Um, this week, this Shabbat is a huge special day in Chabad, and it's the 19th of Kislev, and you get my. That's all you, and also I'm gonna about I'm I'm gonna prepare the second class, this the lecture that I give, um, uh, with all the links and over there also I have links to talk about the story of, of uh, the 19th of Kislev when the first Lubavitcher Rebbe was uh, set free from the Tsar prison. And what's the physical story and what's the spiritual story behind that arrest and that, uh, and that, uh, redemption. What I want to talk to you about is what I said I was going to talk about was Isaac and Esau. What's going on here? Now I already hinted to you that in our personal lives, this has a huge presentation because our body with its self-centered drives is all about Esau, the self-centered, the uh, I want what I want, I want it now and everything is mine and everything exists for my pleasure. And then there's the soul, which is the Jacob. Spirituality, selflessness, service. Now with that being said, let's talk about what's going on here. I mentioned in a previous class to understand why Jacob loved Esau when obviously Esau was who he was. And, and, and obviously, Jake, when, when Jacob disguises himself at Esau and comes into Isaac, Rashi tells us that Isaac said something's wrong here. Now, why do you think something's wrong? Because Jacob was speaking to, politely. Please sit up, Father. I have brought you the food. Later in the verse, when Esau comes, get up that. And when he asks him, how did you do so fast? He says, because God has happened upon me, the animals I needed. And Rashi tells us, Isaac says, no, 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 there's something wrong. Esau doesn't thank God and use God's name. So obviously, Isaac was not oblivious to who Esau was. And if you remember, I explained in that class that... When we talk about the chaos and the intensity and the passion of Esau, this all comes from a very high source called the world of Tohu. And the world of Tohu, literally translated the world of chaos, exists higher than the world of Tikkun, correction. However, the intensity in the world of Tohu was so great that it shattered. And we talk about the sparks of the vessels of Tohu falling into this world. And that is the sparks of the other side, the mundane, not the holy, the self-centered, the passionately driven for, for I, my pleasures, That's why Esau physically had this huge strength and might of passion, of rage, of of pleasure. That's who he was. Now, what's important to understand is that we don't want to throw out the baby with the baby water. I'm going to talk to you for a moment in recovery language. So in recovery... The the search for recovery is not just sobriety, but rather it's looking for a total transformation, which Dr. Carl Jung referred to as a psychic change. And that's why in the 12 steps, one of the steps done is an inventory of character defects. Now, if you're blessed with a good sponsor taking you through this, he will emphasize to you that ultimately speaking, character defects are character assets that went crazy. And therefore, we're not looking to kill, but we're looking to redeem, refine, and transform. There's a place for anger, but in the proper way. There is a place for Everything that there exists, there is a place for it. There's a place for passion. In recovery itself, they're very focused on, it's a selfish program. There's a place for selfishness. Hence, character defects come from a higher source that just fell into the grip of selfishness and self-centeredness. Now, talking about this, Jacob knows that the real job in life is not to eliminate Esau, but to transform Esau. And the transformation shouldn't come through war, but come through humility. Another line from Recovery Program. Attraction, not promotion. We attract by humility, not by preaching not by imposing. Thus, what's really happening here between Esau and Jacob is that Jacob is searching to find and to redeem the Esau that Isaac saw and that Isaac loved. Hence, this process of what's going on here is all about a transformation. Now I want to share with you in closing an unbelievable teaching of the Baal Shem Tov. The verse says, It's in Exodus. And you will see your, when you will see your enemy's donkey. And he says over there that what you're going to see is that the donkey buckled under its load. Will you not help it? And then the verse concludes, ozav Tazov Help, you will help with him. Now, let's go to how the, the Baal Shem Tov defined this verse. Unbelievable. He says like this, The word chamor, donkey, also carries in it the letters of the root chomer. Chomer means the material, the material, and he says, When you will give a good look at your material, at your body, at your animalistic soul and all its drives, you will realize so in Acha, he is your enemy, he hates you. Who's the you, the godly soul who only wants to have spiritual selflessness now. The the body hates you. The animalistic soul hates you, not because it's bad. But it's the way a child feels when he's cramped down in school, not having fun. There's this hatred to the discipline and everything. Come on, leave me alone! Oh God, what homework! Not enough. I'll... So that's what's going on here. The mass. The physicality is our enemy. It hates what we stand for and what we strive for. And the discipline and the selflessness that we keep on engraving and working on in ourselves. Now the verse goes on. You're going to see that this donkey, this mass, this physicality has buckled under its load. Which load? God gave us Torah and mitzvot for the sake of refining the body, the animal side that we have. And the body can't deal with it. It's too lazy. It doesn't want to wake up early to go pray. It doesn't want to put on in, It doesn't want to limit itself to only kosher restaurants and kosher foods. It, it's lazy. You may think, oh, really? You know what? If this animal in me, is my enemy and he's lazy, I have to break it. So to speak like break the spirit of the horse. And therefore, what are you gonna to think to do? I'm gonna start fasting, I'm gonna start purposely doing things to weaken my body. And then the Baal Shem Tov concludes, uh-uh, this is not the way that the light of Torah can rest within us. Rather, help the body. Don't see it as an evil thing. Have compassion upon its drives and refine and transform and save its amazing passionate intensity. That is the message of what we're hearing here. We mustn't hate ourselves or our character defects or certain things about ourselves we hate. No, our body is God's just like our soul is. And therefore, what Jacob is teaching us is, humble yourself, bow, understand the insecurities of our physicality Understand the paradigm of you only live once. Understand the paradigm of the body which is not eternal and knows that it's mortal and it has a huge anxiety about death. Understand it. Have compassion on it. And then you'll be able to connect, be able to reach out and help to transform the ASAL within each and every one of us. People, thank you. I'm going to now close the recording.